the Free for All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer, near Canada's Wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. Tim Hudak is here, former leader of the Ontario Conservatives, now with the Ontario Real Estate Association. I think you've got like one foot at the door, though, don't you, Tim? This morning? I've got one foot out the door. Not at the Real Estate Association. You guys are, are hitting the road, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do you know something I don't know, John Moore? <laughs> I, I know you're on top of the news. <laughs> <laughs> I always have good sources. No, I'm sure you're solid. Uh, Laura Babcock is here from Power Group Communications, host of the O Show. And Mark Warner, international trade lawyer, is here as well. Mark, I'll start with you on this first topic. It's going to be more of a story at 11 when we find out what is in the Auditor General's report on the the Greenbelt reopening, but you have worked for the provincial government and know a thing or two, I imagine, about dealing with an Auditor General, dealing with an Integrity Commissioner, and dealing with government and cabinet. So what do you think we're going to learn? Well, I, you know, it's interesting. There, there's certain things that the Auditor General's office does that are that fall naturally within their um, purview. So that's sort of like checking how you're spending money. Like, did the did the money get into the right columns? Did you spend it on the things you said you're going to spend it on? And that that, that sort of stuff I, I understand. I know I sat on the audit committee for all of the ministries that I was legal director of. Um, where, where the auditor general goes further afield and they start doing these value for money stuff where they start saying, let me think of how I could have designed your policy differently, then that, that's always a bit more controversial because it's like, well, what do you as an accountant know about any of that? You're, you know, about these sort of policy choices. And this is sort of this kind of... Uh, Greenbelt stuff seems like something in the middle, right? It's not quite the value for money stuff. It's more like, you know, almost looking like the integrity commissioner stuff. Did you, was there a conflict of interest involved there? So I'm curious to see how they write it up. I mean, obviously people will be briefing lots of uh, ministers about it and, and hearing it, but um, you know, no no governments like auditors, <laughs> generals or auditor audit reports. Uh, so Tim probably can speak more to that having been in government, but my experience is uh, it's never a pleasant experience and, and more so when it when they get off into the policy realm. Okay, well, just before we ask Tim for his thoughts on this, I'll turn to Laura Babcock first. And Laura, sources at Queen's Park are suggesting there's a pretty dark mood in the Premier's office. So, I mean, obviously they already know what's in this report. What do you think we're going to learn? Well, I think there's two important narratives here uh, that I'll certainly be watching for. One is, is you know, there was a promise made to the public on camera. Ford said, I will not touch the green belt. And then a bunch of developers buy up green belt land, and then he touches the green belt, and they stand to make a lot of money. And some of them, according to reports, are also associated with his campaign or have donated to him. So it looks bad. I don't think people are dumb. I think people know it looks bad, where there's, you know, follow the money. So I think a lot of they're very vulnerable uh, on that front. Promise made, broken, and people, buddies of Ford, seem to be benefiting. So we need to find out if that's true. And so I think this is a very valuable investigation that's happening. The other narrative, though, also, is that we have all these municipalities, John, that were asked to find densification targets, were asked to find places to put housing, and they worked hard on it. And in the case of Hamilton alone, 30,000 residents got involved in a campaign to make sure that council protected the urban boundary and met this this province's 
housing, um, guard, you know, housing targets. So you've got all of these municipalities saying you didn't have to touch the green belt to do this housing pledge. And so there's going to be a lot of concern around the environmental impacts of, you know, exploiting the lungs of the GTA or Swiss cheesing this or however you want to look at it. It's an environmental consideration and it's a consideration around the integrity of this government breaking a promise and looking to benefit their donors. Tim Hudak, you've served in the House, so I imagine you've had a few experiences with not necessarily this Auditor General, but Auditor Generals. Yeah, absolutely. A couple things on on the process. Um, An auditor's uh, report day is always uh, great for the opposition and lousy for government, no matter who's on what side of the House. And typically, John, uh, the ministry, the premier's office, whoever was part of the study would receive an advance the auditor's report, usually a week or so in advance. They will often then have comment in that report so they know on the inside exactly its contents. And that's a fair and balanced process. Um, I I do think, to, to Mark's point, the auditor, this is not Auditor General territory. It's Integrity Commissioner territory. There is a report coming from the Integrity Commissioner going forward. A general view that nobody is, there's no oversight for the overseers and they're getting into each other's territory. Bottom line here, though, John, let's, let's get back to that, that point. I was actually the critic for this Greenbelt legislation when it came to the legislature, when John Tory was leader of the Ontario PC party, and it was always built to allow land to come out of the Greenbelt as long as more land was put in. And if you had parcels like I had in my riding in Grimsby, that were surrounded by development, were already serviced, had no particular environmental value, you could take that out, build housing that we could actually, you know, hopefully afford for first-time buyers, as long as you put more land in. So if you can increase the quality and quantity of the greenbelt, you know, hats off to you. The issue will be, do they have a fair and transparent process? How do they decide which parcels come out, what kind of analysis was done? I think that will be the core finding by the AG's office, if that process existed, to protect the government or any kind of landowners. We will find out at 11 o'clock this morning. Of course, most people will probably be busy trying to buy Taylor Swift tickets. Um, We'll get to Taylor Swift shortly because there's a few other things I want to talk about. And Laura Babcock, let me start with you on this next topic because a lot of your work is about consulting and image making and branding and stuff like that. Pierre Polyev and the Conservatives are out with an ad which is narrated by his wife. It's very effective communications. Do you think that it's going to change the impression that people have of Pierre Polyev. Yes, I think it's that good, and I think Trudeau's in big trouble, not just because Pierre is enjoying a 10-point or whatever lead, um, but everywhere I'm going, people are getting very frustrated with the state of the country, and even if they're not for the Conservative government or they're not for all these pain points constantly being brought up or they don't like Polyev, I think this ad might just make them have a second thought and say, you know what, there's something here. He doesn't seem that scary. You know, he seems as though he uh, has put together, you know, a good family, a good narrative on this. But this is just not one ad. It's not just a one of that humanizes him. There's a second ad in the series that I found where, you know, he's with his young daughter putting a puzzle together and talking about how broken Canada is. And and both these ads have branding about bring it home. I think it's a very effective slick campaign. And if people are not happy with this government, but not feeling comfortable with Polyev, if they get access to this campaign, which I assume there'll be more of these kinds of ads, 
they may just say, you know what, he doesn't seem scary enough not to vote for. And that is something that if I were the Trudeau camp, I'd be very concerned with this morning. Tim Hudak, I do find it fascinating that people have complained for years about how surfacy um, Justin Trudeau is, and yet clearly it was important enough for the image-making of the people working with Pierre Polyev that they change his hair, that they put him in a T-shirt, that they take his glasses off, and now that they release these commercials. Yeah, it's a, it's a, um, a a pretty common uh, tactic. I mean, Preston Manning did the the makeover as well. Dalton McGinty did a makeover. David uh, Peterson. Um, to the point here, uh, I think it's a very effective uh, ad campaign. I, I think it. Um, well, here's the two reasons for that, John. I mean, I think the number one reason people will vote for somebody uh, who is part of the party of a leader is, does that leader have the chops to make the tough calls? Will they make the right job decisions on the economy or healthcare? What matters to you? And number two, they think, you know, will this individual understand what my family and I talk about across the kitchen table? Will 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 they identify with, with our needs? And when you see somebody, no matter what their party portrayed with their, their family, a bit of their bio, their background, their roots, that does inform voters of the types of decisions they're likely to make on issues you don't even know about. I think this checks off both boxes very nicely. Mark Warner, I've never been a big fan of spouses in politics if they're not political people because they are often used as props. But I do find find Pierre Polyev's wife very effective in the commercial that we sent out this morning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, they've used her in, in a number of different cases. I mean, you, there's, I guess the question is, you, you start, the message has to be consistent, right? You can have the ads, um, but can he pull this off over the course of an election campaign, the, the sort of personality makeover that goes along with it? And I guess that's, you know, TBD. <laughs> we'll see whether he can do that. And I, I think the reality is we've now watched, particularly Justin Trudeau's uh, method of campaigning is, is um, they will be trying to raise his negatives uh, and to draw him out. I mean, I guess perhaps anybody would do that, but the, well, certainly the liberals under Justin Trudeau have become very efficient at that. And my guess is that they will, they will, they will have him talking about abortion and all sorts of other things every single day if they can, and <laughs> and uh, and then and, and and sort of undercut all this. So I don't. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll to, I, I don't know. I'm not willing to say they're going to be effective yet because I think. Uh, we've we've shown there's no low that they won't go with the liberals under justin trudeau and campaign we saw that when they try to politicize a vaccine campaign so i mean we're really digging at the bottom of the well here um interesting study out this morning or survey about people wearing headphones at work and let me start with a guy who heads up a, an office place tim hudak uh, more and more people are wearing headphones at work and they don't care if it makes them seem antisocial yeah, it's interesting. I've seen this develop over my time. Certainly, I never, like zero, John, saw it in the political world. But since being a CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association, seeing that trend growing, and, and I'll mark two things. Uh, it, it is dominated, not exclusively, but dominated by people I would say would be, you know, 35 and under, much more common, much more comfortable. And and secondly, they, they do it because you have a bit of an open office environment. So that helps them to focus. You know, typically when I ask them what's going on, with the headphones, you know, they're listening to music. And I'm lucky. I've got an office of my own. And when I'm doing some, some reading, some analysis, maybe working on some correspondence, I put, I put music on. I, I find it soothing background noise. This just helps them do it at their desk. Okay. Laura Babcock, maybe it's because I wear headphones at the office uh, to do the show, like right now, but I can't stand wearing headphones at any other time. 
<laughs> yeah, but, you know, a lot of people do love listening to music or listening to a podcast. And even in school, I was surprised to find that my kids were allowed to listen to music on their headphones in class, right? So this idea that you can use it to distract yourself or to focus or whatever works for you, I think the horse is out of the barn on that. Where I find it very frustrating, as someone who's been doing sales training to companies for 25 years, is when I see somebody in a customer service capacity who's got an earbud in, right? And so you're, you're thinking it's hard enough to make a good connection, to make a good brand impression, to deliver the kind of service that a lot of people expect. But if you're distracted, if you're listening to something or worse, taking calls and talking in your phone on a call while you're also navigating a, a, a consumer thing at the, you know, at the cash register or something else, I think it sends a very bad message. And I hope that's not the trend going forward because it'll reduce the kind of service that we get. Thank you all. Good to have you this morning. Tim Hudak, Laura Babcock, and Mark Warner on round one. Catch the round table. Round one at 745. Round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.